scary basement jump scare. Each month, me and my friend Roxy find ourselves suddenly and jarringly back in the horrifying scary basement, and we are never ready for it. My name is Mikey McCaller, and I was in the middle of making French press coffee, dusting off my bookshelf, and replying stop to text messages from Bed Bath and Beyond. And I'm Roxy Polk, and I was uh, just Googling around to see if Michael Myers was based on a real person. I actually know a lot about that. Do you? Yeah. Uh, Roxy, since we're here- Is that what you made your dissertation on, Mikey? Okay. So I have been to college many times. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I've written many dissertations. And in fact, one of them was on the truth of Michael Myers. So yeah, let's talk about him. Let's figure out, let's get to the bottom of like, we've been watching all these Halloween movies this month. Michael Myers is, of course, here in the scary basement with us. Say hello, Michael. Nothing. Nothing from it. Just a... I mean, he's staring. That's something, right? That's the thing he does as well to communicate. His... Me and Michael Myers have, uh... <laughs> I was going to say different love languages, but it might just be different <laughs> languages. I don't understand the Possibly. Them <laughs> but I just thought it would be good to uh, figure out a little bit, like, get to the bottom of, like, what are some real-life bases that these stories come from? Okay, yeah, let's do it. I'm ready to be educated. I want to learn. So, I mean, I was just Googling it, so obviously my uh, search history will yeah, go. Yeah, your, your interest is peaked. <laughs> sure is. The very first thing we should talk about took place in 1950, the killing of Janet Christman. Okay. This, so this was- is like a real life true crime This is a true thing? crime ass true crime story. This is okay. some Damn. my favorite right. murder ass real murder. shit. <laughs> Wait, you also listen to my favorite murder, Mikey? Oh, yeah, I love that show. What? Okay, me too. I had no idea, but of course that makes sense that both of us would listen to that. Yeah, that's, it sounds right. <laughs> I was literally <laughs> listening to an episode while I was getting ready today, like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> this is great. And now you're going to listen to another episode, except- <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> from me and very short. I get to hear it before anybody else, though, so that's exciting. <laughs> so we've got the 1950 uh, killing of Janet Christman. She's 13 years old. Oh. She is babysitting. Listen, it's a sad one. It's not good. That's unfortunate. I mean, it's never good when anybody dies. Man, 13-year-old kid. Okay. She's babysitting. The parents come home, find the babysitter downstairs, blood everywhere. She put up a fight, but she was raped and killed by oh. God only knows. Dear God. The baby is not killed. The baby is upstairs asleep. Baby totally fine. Okay. So at least it was asleep. Maybe maybe they didn't the person didn't know that the baby was upstairs. That's the killer. One theory. The other theory is that maybe the killer, like Michael Myers, saw the baby and walked right past it. That's not a theory. It's like that's not something investigators were thinking it's about. Like I'm a brutal monster, but not that much of a monster. <laughs> um the Missouri <laughs> newspaper, the Hutchinson News Herald, also reported that, quote, during the last six months, another babysitter was raped, and a college student in the same neighborhood, was the victim of an attempted rape. So there's somebody going around doing this. This is a multiple, this is a serial rapist, uh, essentially. And then this last victim, it sounds like- He escalated. He he escalated. What's scary to me is that it's the second babysitter. So it's like, this guy was watching young women and waiting for them to be in this like deeply vulnerable- position like babysitting itself is frightening right you're in strangers house it's not a territory you're familiar with but you're also in charge you're being asked to make decisions so like you're like a teenager being held responsible for another person's child exactly (laughs) 
And you shouldn't be. You're, you're not yeah. responsible yourself. So it's like, and there's there's this fear that like, even if you get murdered, which would be bad enough on its own, if you get murdered in this situation, you are also letting this child that you're in charge of die too. So it's like, you are both victim and um, loser isn't the right word. <laughs> you are both uh, like You feel victim responsible. And um, it's your fault, right? Yes, yeah, you, you would blame yourself. And also, I think you brought this up, too. It's, like, not your house, so you're not familiar with it. So that seems like a very specific tactic, you know, someone who can case the house and study it, whereas the babysitter might be their first time there. They have no idea where the entrances and exits are the same way. They don't know where... There or studied it would be. They don't know where the knives are. Yes, that's true. They don't know where the pizza cutters are. They don't know where the guns are or the dynamite is. These things are all... <laughs> hidden and if you have to find them quick you can get them at your own house no problem yeah um, you know I, i've always got my dynamite right by my bedside table so i can get it whenever there's an intruder that's smart of you you know <laughs> so that killing very much inspires this urban legend that kind of starts springing up in the 60s and i'm sure you've heard it before the urban legend of the babysitter and the man upstairs are you familiar with this Oh, uh, so is it like the phone call coming from inside the house one or? The phone call was coming from inside the house. Absolutely. Okay. Um, famously, <laughs> my Twitter name every Halloween, I changed my name from Michael McCaller to Michael McCall was coming from inside the house or. Uh, <laughs> I was not aware that was every year. I did see that this year. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's Pretty one good. of my favorite things I ever thought of. <laughs> this story is also frightening to me it's one of those like it's it's like the kind of story where like the two kids go make out and then the escaped hook hand guy es escapes and then they go home yeah. and find the hook dangling it's that level of urban myth and that like there are okay. all these different iterations sure seems to be inspired by this story of janet chrisman the babysitter who was killed um but the idea is there's a young woman babysitting these kids she puts them in bed she starts getting calls from a total creeps show right uh, mm -hmm. In some iterations, this guy is giggling. In some iterations, he's saying, like, oh, watch out, look where, where, where you're going. Don't get on the train. Like, just saying general creepy things <laughs> uh -huh. to her. Uh -huh. And she's hanging up, and she's calling the police. And they're like, yeah, we can put a trace on the call. It'll just take some time. For now, just stay in the house. Stay safe. And yeah, it's like, what, the 60s, 70s? So Exactly. When phone call tracing had just been invented. Uh-huh. And so these calls keep coming in and they're getting creepy and there's giggling. And then finally, the police call with the call tracing and they say, get out of the house. We traced it. The call is coming from inside the house. And so that's horrifying in general. Uh, some yeah. iterations of the story, she goes upstairs. The kids have been murdered. Some iterations while they're on the, while she's on the phone with the police, she drops the phone. And then they're like, ma'am, ma'am, are you still there? And then they hear the same giggling or same creepy don't get on the train kind of things that the babysitter was hearing. Uh-huh. Some iterations, the police come and arrest this killer who like looks at the babysitter as he's getting hauled away and is just like, see you soon, uh, which is scary. And then the one I like the best is they, uh, the, the, I mean, not the best, this is upsetting, but it's the best upsetting version of this story is that the kids are all killed, right? Babysitter survives. All right. And then 20 years later, 
the babysitter has a family of her own and she goes out to eat and now she has a mobile phone and she is getting calls and she starts getting these same calls from the same like giggling guy who also says, uh, don't eat uh, the pasta. And then she comes home and it's the same thing has happened to her and her kids. And then she's just like, God, is this ever going to stop? <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't get over your uh, serial killer voice on the phone. Mikey is very, <laughs> <laughs> he called the restaurant to warn her not to eat the pasta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people got I was, food poisoning there last week. I was trying Don't to think of what the like most benign threats I could think of were, and there weren't many. Uh, <laughs> that uh, is very reminiscent of Michael Myers, though, in the you know repeating the same thing, coming back mm-hmm. years later. I mean, he would just be breathing into the phone, I guess, which does happen in the first movie. Actually, she gets a call, but that's her friend playing a prank on her, though, isn't it? Yes. I don't know if. Does Michael ever actually call? No, she she gets the 911 operator's treatment in that her she calls her friend and she's talking to her for a second. And then Michael like picks up the phone and he's like breathing. She's like, what? Oh, that's right. Yeah, because he kills her while she's on the phone. He strangles her with the phone cord, right? Yes. Yes. What a guy. Yep, he does when he's wearing that sheet. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that ties both of these stories together and makes it makes their influence on Halloween clear to me, at least is this idea of stalking, that it's not just Mm -hmm. crimes that are happening suddenly or by somebody you know. Like, these are no crimes of passion. These are not premeditated. I guess not premeditated in the way that, like, a uh, a bank robbery is, right? These are premeditated in just, like, an abstract, dart-thrown-at-a-board kind of way. Like, somebody just decided these were the girls they were going to find, and then they just are fixated on them for a long time and then this halloween story that like every sequel we've watched has been about how michael myers is fixated on laurie strode and whatever for whatever reason rather and Mm -hmm. he is pursuing to no ends like what's scary about the call was coming from inside the house story is that like it was already over before it began uh in the same way that halloween i think the original film starts with Lori learning about fate and its oncoming march. Mm-hmm. Like, if the caller was inside the house, like, there was never, she never had a chance to escape. It just feels so defeating, even from the beginning. Yeah. Or at the very least, they're getting you when you're vulnerable. So if you don't, like, act quick, you know, and save the kids immediately, you're not really going to have much time to save yourself. <laughs> it's like Metroid Dread. Are you playing Metroid Dread, Roxy? I am not, but I have a feeling you are, Mikey. <laughs> there are horrifying robots that you that if you touch them, they kill you instantly. But you get a tiny okay. split second to press your like reversal button to like melee them away. But it's oh. very hard, and they kind of tell you like, don't rely on this. Like if you get caught by the guys, it's already over. You have a tiny chance to run away, but not enough. Okay, so it's not really like a solid counter move. No, no, it's very hard. Now let's get into some of the the real real inspirations between behind Halloween. Uh John Carpenter. Like that, oh, okay, so like Carpenter said specifically. So this is kind of like this guy was like the vibe, I guess, kind of this first one, and then this one is going to be specifics. Yes, this is what uh the director of the original Halloween, John Carpenter specifically said inspired it. Oh, okay, cool. There is a 2003 documentary about the making of Halloween. I should have written down what it's called, but I didn't. And who cares? I got this via uh, hiddenremote.com. Okay. I'm sure if you type into Google, you know, a Halloween documentary, oh, yeah. John Carpenter, you'll well, probably find it. Here's the thing. I pulled up the YouTube video and it's like an hour and a half. And I was like, oh, I got shit to do. Damn. 
Okay, because the, well, the, I will go look for it later because it sounds interesting. I already watched or, or rather read the most interesting part of it where he describes, John Carpenter describes taking a visit to a mental institution while he himself was in college. So he just like, mm. I don't know whatever his major was. They just thought it would be fun to go check out a mental institution, see what's going on. And he goes to this institution and sees a child who he describes as being somewhere between 12 and 13 who literally had this look. He described it as a schizophrenic stare. Uh, it's hmm. a real evil stare, and it was unsettling to me. It was like the creepiest thing I'd ever seen, just because it's a stranger. Uh, and he goes on to say that like he was completely insane. So John Carpenter goes to a mental institution, sees a child, and is just like, oh yeah, that's Michael Myers. This is oh. the character. Like He has this image in his head, and then later on is asked to make a movie about a stalker who is going after babysitters. And he's like, I got experience with that. I, I know okay. what I know what kid would do that. Wait, he wasn't going there specifically to research like how he was going to write Halloween. This was before he got. This was before. Yeah. Prompted. Wow. Okay. I guess maybe he was planning a horror movie before or something. I yeah. don't know. It, listen, did he ever all... say why he was there? <laughs> Does not say. He, he okay. visits it while he was in college. Like, I was trying to think about, like, was he studying psychology? I actually don't know what he studied Oh, yeah, in okay, college. that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, if it was specifically for a school thing. It could have been an okay. art school thing where you go and, like, try to draw the schizophrenics. And, like, it's like a good test of figure drawing because they're moving and frantic and you have to capture them. Like, that would be uh, a good way to create vibrancy in your illustrations. The way that <laughs> the way that John Carpenter <laughs> described meeting this child, Michael Myers, in this documentary is almost copied and pasted into Loomis's dialogue, right? When he oh. in initially describes Michael Myers, this blank, pale, emotionless face, the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized what was living behind the boy's eyes was pure and simply evil. That's like a, a yeah. poet's rewriting of John Carpenter's, like, he was 12 or 13, he had this schizophrenic stare, it's what it was. Like, he's just, uh, he's talking like a person, and then Loomis comes in with, like, a writer's flair. <laughs> yeah. He comes in and kind of describes what would actually uh Loomis happen. has a flair for the dramatic, we all know it. Boy, does he. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he probably talks poetically like that about what he had for breakfast, you know? I cracked pepper on it. It was black like the devil. <laughs> it's like, sir, are you telling us that you had like a boiled egg or something? <laughs> Put some pepper on it. A boiled egg cooked in the bubbling pit of hell that is my pot. Uh, I'm like, okay, we must gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I just had some toast, so I'm uh, I'm good to go for the rest of today for my energy. <laughs> Great. So these are some of the tangible, fact-based inspiration and by fact based i mean one of them is an urban legend so not really but these are some of the tangible inspirations from halloween that were kind of like in the cultural ether mm -hmm. that must have inspired john carpenter as he's making this film now here's an urban legend that supposedly inspired michael myers himself but may or may not be real as of yet unclear Wait. okay roxy right. do you know about stanley steers um I, I know that he might not be a real person, but he might have also been a real person. Who knows? That I think that's vaguely what I know about him. My creepy pasta sense is askew enough that like I don't like you know when you're reading a creepy pasta and you're like, oh, obviously this isn't real, but it's very fun and delightful and it's written as though it's a real story. Yeah. 
The Stanley Steers story has a lot of elements like that, and a bunch of uh, publications have looked into him and have found no actual evidence. Esquire did an article about the beginning of Halloween and described the Stanley Steers story as I'm about to, but then went on to say, zero evidence that he ever existed. Okay. So nobody knows for sure exactly what's going on. Here's the Stanley Sears story. This boy, born in 1912, uh, to another family, is switched at birth by just a mischievous nurse. Like, she does this intentionally, just like for a lark. Okay, that sounds very creepypasta already. Like, who Uh the fuck would you? Okay. It's it's also like, it could be to, like, to me, that's the kind of thing where, like, these mistakes happen. And, like, in the retellings, it gets, like, a more sinister origin. Oh, okay, so origin. it's like, oh, it's on purpose. Yeah, I can, I can understand if something like that happened on accident or something, mm-hmm. especially, like, in, it happened to me. what, 1912? Oh, okay. Yeah, you uh, missed out that big part of your origin story, Mikey. What? I, was, I was switched two to three times. What the nurses at my birth hospital did was put three babies under uh, laundry baskets, right? So you can't see. And then they switched okay. them around like a shell game. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then they had the three parents come in and each pick a a hamper that <laughs> contained a baby. So I might have gotten to my birth parents, but who th- like nobody will literally ever know. Was it to test how well the parents knew their infants? No, Only it was to test how good know. the parents were at the shell game. Oh, okay. There's a guy outside the hospital, he kept doing the shell game and the nurse is always lost. So they're like, We'll find somebody who's really good at this, and then we'll finally take this guy for what he was worth. And this guy outside Playing the shell game, Stanley Steers. Oh, okay. Wow. Now it all makes sense. That's how they got his name. That's not true. Got it. Uh, okay. So this nurse has <laughs> well, switched. I thought it was completely true in real, Mikey. How could you like destroy my reality? Don't worry about it. Of it like that. How Ride the you? reality wave. Whatever's true, you'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> if, <laughs> if it matters. <laughs> um, in 1912, nurse switches two babies. One family gets the Steers biological baby, and then the Steers family gets this other baby. The other family, Family X, who has the Steers biological son, they are killed along with the baby in a car accident at some point within the first 12 years of these babies' lives, right? Okay. So the Steers, with this baby Stanley, find out that it's not their biological son. The evidence comes to light. The nurse is like, arrested or charged or at least fired like they figure out that the nurse was doing this or did this on accident and the steers know so therefore they have this son who is not theirs and they're mean to him (laughs) they're like they start the general resentment they start they drink a lot and they taunt this boy they're just kind of the general abuse of like a family that has a son that they know isn't theirs or that they no longer want even though they, like, raised him for 12 years and their real son is dead anyway, so, like, what are they going to do about it? <laughs> this is back in the time, Roxy. Th- keep in mind, this is about 1920, 25, right? Okay. This was before feelings were even capable of being dealt with, right? Like, some parents yeah, have yeah. these feelings for their biological children, but they work through them and they figure them out and they have like there's like a greater lens from society upon you like saying like don't be mean to your kids but like in the Mm. 1920s these are like farm people like they're removed from society they're allowed to do whatever they want so they're just like yeah i feel this way i'm gonna act this way so were they horrible to him even before they knew and then it was just worse or it was the catalyst was finding out that he was not their real son every description of this story says that the catalyst is 
what causes them to go overboard in their like taunting and abuse of him. Okay. Um, another catalyst, though, is that the steers soon have a daughter that mm. they they watch right. like a hawk. Right. This is Susie Steers. And they make sure they know she is the biological daughter, right? She, Man, they really like to have the names right. We got Susie and Stanley Sears, SS. Oh, yeah, they're Marvel the characters. Same. Yeah, I guess uh, so. <laughs> I forgot to mention that the Stanley Steers story comes from uh, What If, number 1682. Uh, so they have this daughter, Susie, and she picks up on this. She's like, oh, my parents taunt my shitty brother. I'll taunt my shitty brother, too. Oh, okay. So, so she she's also mean to him. And not great. She gets to do whatever she wants, Stanley constantly being punished. Uh tale as old as time. I mean, he is the oldest kid too. It can happen from time to time. You're always yeah. gonna get the worst of it. <laughs> so at eleven, Stanley has to watch his sister go trick-or-treating on Halloween night while he himself is not allowed to go. And this mm-hmm. is what makes him finally snap. He gets a big old knife, and the second he gets home, or she gets home, rather, from trick-or-treating, Stanley kills her, kills Ooh. the parents while they sleep. Oh, okay. And then goes and kills the family dog. What? The dog The dog didn't have anything to do with this. Come on. This is when Stanley Steers goes from anti-hero to villain. <laughs> Before so that, we're like, girl, I get it. The, the little girl, they let her go out trick-or-treating, but like- so she had to have been okay. So Stanley was twelve or so when like she was born, right? No, he is twelve when this murder happens. And He's twelve I, when the murder happens. I, okay. I made this mistake. I said it was about twelve when they found out about him. And what I was I was thinking of the time when the murder happens. That's the only time okay. the age is ever specifically given. But so the parents didn't like wait up for their tiny child to come back from trick or treating alone. They're just like, "Fuck it, we'll just go to sleep." Mm, could be. <laughs> Um, it's I just wonder, another thing that's like mm, creepy pasta. Yeah, it's like. Well, she also could have gone with friends' parents. You know how there's always I one designated true. parent. It's like when yeah. uh, in in the NFL, when like NFC teams have to play AFC teams. It's like every four years, the NFC North has to play the AFC South. Right? Every four years, it's your job to take all the neighborhood kids out trick or treating, and then you get three years off. Okay, I mean, because maybe, there are four families in this neighborhood. There. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've decided. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Stanley, this Halloween night, family's all dead. He finally, for the first time ever, gets to go trick-or-treating. God bless him. He goes out, and here he kills all of his bullies, everyone who ever made fun of him. He's out on a massacre, right? He is just a kid who is ready to go. He's been got all is this, this murder in his heart. this just like the Jeff the Killer story? This- <laughs> okay. I don't know who Jeff the Killer is. Oh, no. Okay, maybe we should do a jump scare episode about Jeff the Killer. Okay, I'm down. <laughs> It's, uh, he sounds chill. <laughs> he sounds like your high Very school chill. buddy who like is the only dude who likes the Minnesota Vikings as much as you. First guy who helped you like you had your first beer with, and it's like, yeah, it's old Jeff. What a it's cool, like a notorious cool. creepy pasta that was probably written by a twelve year old or something based Tight. on uh, the quality of it. Uh. So okay, this is the this is where like plausibility of the Stanley Steers story goes out the window. Like if okay. there was a child who was abused and killed his family. Fair enough. This is where it's like, okay, he's going out there and going on a murder spree, killing his family. I don't know about that. And yeah, then, all the bullies and everything and no one's stopping him or seeing it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, if you are in this, like, small suburban community, especially in these, like, in the 20s, like, nobody know, like, nobody's equipped to deal with this. 
He yeah. just like goes out and starts doing it. They're like, they're caught. The authorities are caught flat footed, Stanley Steers wise. Gotcha. Uh, at this point, the feds swoop in, pick him up, capture this kid, and they take him to a facility and start testing on him to see like, like doing psychological what? tests to see what could make a child do this. Okay. And then in around 1936, when Stanley has, of course, grown to the size of six foot four, 260 pounds. Really? Okay. Yes. The, the, what, the question is, did they start, did these like chemical treatments give him super strength? Which, again, obviously this is where plausibility of the story goes out the window. What a great reason that could be for Michael Myers. Why did we but never he, get the evil explanation that he's getting shot all these times because while he spent all that time in the facility, some fucked up scientist was doing fucked up things to him that made his muscles like steel. Bulletproof. I mean, yeah, like what does Loomis not want to tell us about the uh, other, what was it, seven years or something where he was trying to make sure he didn't escape? Right. Were those all the years they were experimenting on him and giving him uh-huh. uh, metallic abs? <laughs> so the the end of this story is that now a 6'4", 260-pound Stanley Steers snaps the necks of the orderlies who are working with him, leaves the facility. He is there shot several times, but he continues moving and escapes and is still lurking to this day. You can see how this story is just Halloween. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> Only it's if we had no idea what happened to him after he got out of that facility. <laughs> I do want to shout out uh, thescarechamber.com. That's where I got most of my uh, information from it. We'll put these links in the show notes to these two articles I was reading okay, up cool, on. Cool. But as I'm reading these stories and learning about some of the origins of Halloween, I was like, why is it so unsettling? Why is this an idea that can like has captured our imaginations throughout an entire 45-film run of Halloween, right? Like, what is so scary about this? Mm -hmm. And it made me think of a Norm MacDonald joke. Okay. Norm MacDonald, I think, was... He just passed away. I think he was the funniest human being who ever lived. Uh, Norm died? Oh, yeah. Did you miss this? Yeah, what? Oh, yeah. I didn't know Norm was dead. Yeah, he had cancer for like 10 years. It was very sad. Oh, my God. Okay. Um... There's a joke he told on his YouTube live show that he had for a couple of years. He had a YouTube show? Okay, yeah. I guess I was just not following his career. It was very early internet. It was like 2010 or something. Damn. Um, and he would do a topical segment. And okay. one of the segments, he, he said, today is the anniversary of the death of Albert Fish. Do you know Albert Fish? He asked his guest. And the guest was like, no. And he's like... Uh, Albert Fish, one of the most notorious serial killers of all time. He was known as the Gray Man because when police asked one of the women who escaped him to describe his appearance, and she said he was gray in both appearances and demeanor, which is haunting. Appearances and demeanor. Okay. Albert Fish was a slayer of children. He was a child slayer, rapist, and cannibal. He boasted- Okay. He boasted that he ate children in every state in the nation. And Roxy, he would choose victims that were either mentally handicapped. We'll get there. Oh my God. Okay. He would choose victims. The the twist is that this is not real. Okay. Sorry. He chose victims that were either mentally handicapped 
or African-American because these were underrepresented groups and that people wouldn't notice if they went missing. So he would torture, murder, and mutilate these youngsters with a meat cleaver, a butcher knife, and a small handsaw. And even though he was barely literate, Fish would write taunting letters to the parents of his victims, gruesomely detailing how he slayed, butchered, cooked, and then dined on their offspring. He would declare that a child rump was the most toothsome dish in all of gastronomy. Once he was arrested, he confessed to killing more than 700 children. Oh my god. Well, I don't think that number is correct. That sounds like he's... Okay, I Keep going. This is just so awful. Okay. He was arrested and confessed to killing over 700 children. One of the detectives described his appearance as, quote, the devil himself. Roxy, this Albert Fish, I mean, this guy was a real jerk. That's, that's what you were building towards. Uh-huh. Was he real? <laughs> no. This, no, he was real. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> okay. So that's why this is probably my favorite joke of all time. Okay, please because, explain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, first of all, what a build-up uh-huh. towards nothing. It's very Yeah, close. uh-huh. <laughs> but second of all, that to me gets at what is so scary about stories like Stanley Steers and Michael Myers and whoever killed our girl Janet Chapman and all like the, the man upstairs, the, the call coming from inside the house story. What's frightening about this? Is that like to label somebody a real jerk is the kind of thing you would call a friend of yours who's being a dick. It's like he's behaving badly, but it's within the realm of humanity, right? He's still a person. To take somebody who is ostensibly a human being and say that they can do these things, that they can do something so inhuman, like it's almost like it's so horrible that you can't fathom it. You can't, like, wrap your head around how somebody from your same species, somebody who is you, could do something like this. It's so dark. It's the H.P. Lovecraft looking into a black star. It's just like, what what are we doing? What's humanity about? Like, I didn't know it was this dark. Yeah, so I guess the idea is that you distance yourself and humanity from that type of action by calling them a monster or calling them pure evil Mm -hmm. or whatever, like we do with Michael Myers, because then you don't have to muse upon the fact that, oh, he's actually human just like you are. Right. He was born just like you were, you know, like we all are. Um, And that could be you for Mm -hmm. if who knows what happened to you (laughs) or you made a different choice, I guess. Mm -hmm. And if you did that stuff, Roxy, you would be a real jerk. Yeah, that's what they'd say about me, infamous serial killing jerk. (laughs) Roxy, how likely, the Stanley Steers story, let's say, how likely on a scale of one to nine do you think is it to happen? Of course, one through nine being the choices because ten does not exist in the scary basement. Uh, Well, stuff like that has already happened all over the place, so I'd say a nine. The answer is nine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) There's there's horrible monsters who have done even worse, and mm -hmm. that's like all- Already terrible. I wonder, Um, you know, this is something that now I'm just realizing I could look into is who was like the worst child serial killer? Oh, like the youngest one, I guess. Yeah. Here. Uh, Actually, I don't want to look it up. That makes me upset. I was I was going to be like, let's just let's just Google it real quick. But then I was like, "Ah, I don't care. Yeah, it's a lot easier to accept that adults end up with extra years come to 
these sorts of places. Kids should be doing nothing but playing video games and at worst, hurting animals. Uh, how about no? <laughs> how about well, only one of those things, which that's, is playing video games? That's what makes games. them adults who can do this. Um, I mean, yeah, that is one of the uh, tells. That's one of the resources. Roxy, do you have a question for me? Yes, I sure do have a question for you, Mikey. Um, so we've been talking about a lot of legends about babysitters getting killed and menaced. So uh, what is your scariest babysitter story, Mikey? Whether it was you being babysat by a babysitter or if you were the babysitter. I was a babysitter once. Okay. For uh, <laughs> no, <man. laughs> This was the last time I did it. Um, <laughs> I was babysitting my little baby cousin, Michael. His name was also Also Michael. named Michael? Yeah. Michael babysitting Michael. We, we call him Duncan now because there's so many Michaels in our family. And so oh his, my his God, middle name really? is Duncan. Yeah. It's a family name? Very much so. Yeah. Oh. I I'm named after no my idea. grandfather. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm babysitting Duncan. He's two or three. And he is in my room and he finds my Super Nintendo controller and the and the cord is like still attached to the console. And he also uh-huh. gets a hold of a scissors. Oh no. And he opens uh-huh. the scissors and he puts it like he doesn't snip the cord, but he like puts it in the snipping position. How how old is this child again? Two or three. Okay. Very young. Right. And I'm like, look away for a second. I look back and he's got those scissors to the controller and i'm like oh my god yo duncan don't do it and he is looking me dead in the eyes roxy while okay he snips oh <laughs> he my god he demon child it, and it's just the end of that controller and i'm really upset but it was like damn that kid knew what he was gonna do <laughs> he was ready to do it he was not <laughs> listening to me but he wanted to make sure I saw it before he. He is pure evil. Okay, he can't be an evil child. Turns so out. yeah, then I obviously never babysat again because I can't risk video games in such a way. Yeah, no, not okay. Roxy, what was your scariest babysitter story? Uh, my scariest babysitter story was uh, I was babysitting a kid, and we walked to the park for like a bit before we were gonna like get food and put put him down to bed. Put baby down um, for Baba. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly what he says um and we were on the swings well he was i was like watching uh and this kid was kind of like a rough and tumble kid sort of he'd Mm. just he'd be the kind of kid who would try to do a backflip off of a sofa Uh or some shit like he was getting scuffed up and scraped all the time um so i was like making sure to watch him while he was on the uh playground i was like swings that's probably fine uh he starts getting really high and then just jumps. And I think it's either because he like landed wrong or he was too small or whatever, but he lands and uh sprains his leg and is just his- screaming. <laughs> his-, his whole leg? <laughs> I mean he sprained it. It's not like it's broken or anything. But I don't know that at the time. I just see him fall on his leg and start screaming. Uh so then I'm like yelling and being like, what the hell? And it's like before cell phones, so I'm <laughs> freaking out. I eventually end up, like, getting him home and calling his parents and everything. And they, they like, I expected them to be so mad at me, but it was, they were kind of like, oh, yeah, he does this stuff all the time. Mm. I was like, what? <laughs> like, okay, I guess I should be happy about that, that they're not, like, upset at me or something. And, like, yeah, I, I was really worried at the time that he got his leg broke. It wasn't, it was, like, a sprain. He was, he was fine. And they even asked me to babysit again for them. And I similarly was also, like, I think I'm fine. I, I don't need, like, the the pocket money from that. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for the offer. 
Wow. What kind of messed up things did that kid grow up to do? That's a good question. I never checked back in on him. So Mm. (laughs) it's in my neighborhood, though. He's going to kill somebody. Or maybe he became a stuntman or something. Oh, that's true. He could have used his evil gifts for good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know how evil it was what he did. It was just very dumb. (laughs) He was a thrill seeker, Mikey. Yeah, we've all been there. (laughs) And now this episode is over. Jump scare! Jump scare!